0: Love you to join me in Mark 11. Right there, the text that Donnie read for us just a few minutes ago. We'll stay right there if you'll turn with me uh, and we'll uh, pretty much just uh, camp out right there in Mark 11 for the next few minutes. Glad you're here. It's good to be a part of the assembly today as we get to talk about Jesus and what He's done for us, who He is and His nature and what we might learn from Him. The more I study the Bible, the more I realize just how rich it is and how you just can't exhaust all of its teachings and just so much there. And I hope I hope, as you study the Bible, you, you come to that realization of all God has to teach us about Himself through, through the Word. This story, as I mentioned at the beginning of our worship time today, is part of the theme of that other side of Jesus. I think there's a need in our society, in our Western culture to think about things we don't like to think about, we are increasingly becoming a society that can't really engage with people who disagree with us or with people who present something that we don't like or that may be offensive to us in some way. It's kind of a part of Western culture, it seems. We're becoming a little bit hypersensitive. Part of that may be, or one of the results of that might be that we only want to see the image of Jesus that we want to see. You know, that's the only one we're going to see because it's the one we like, the one that makes us feel comfortable, the one that, I don't know, makes us feel good about ourselves. We don't really like so much the Jesus who turns over tables as he does in our story today. But we need to think about him because that's who he is. And if it's who he is, then we would do well to think about him, right? I mean, we, we can... We can talk about and think about the one that makes us feel good, but sometimes we might not need to feel good about what we're doing. And so uh, Jesus challenges us in a lot of different ways. So our text is Mark 11, and I hope that you're there with me. The story is quite short, and this is one of the stories, sometimes called the cleansing of the temple. Uh, There is a cleansing of the temple that's presented in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke... We have this story that seems to be parallel that happened at the end of Jesus' ministry in, in, in what is often called Passion Week, the last week of his life, that Sunday through Friday. He entered Sunday through the palm branch. He entered the city on Sunday which when they put the palm branches in his path and all that. And then he progressed through the week until he was rested on Thursday night and crucified on Friday. So this is that week, this last week of his, of his life when he goes into the temple. Now I want to... I want to kind of set the stage for you. We'll talk for a few minutes about what Jesus may have been thinking because I think it's pretty fascinating to think about what, what, why does, what makes Jesus angry. If you're like me, you have a hard time seeing him angry. Do you? What does Jesus' face look like? You, you've got an image of Jesus' face in your, in your mind right now, don't you? Just, just what do you think of when you think of Jesus? Like if I ask you, what, what do you think Jesus looked like? You've probably got some image in your mind. Maybe based on some of those old picture Bibles that you grew up. sitting Like with me, it's this big big black, you know, 300-pound Bible my dad carried. And I would get bored in, some, in church and sometimes, I didn't say that. I didn't say I got bored in church. Sometimes I would, um, <laughs> sometimes when I was a kid, I would, uh, I would open up. The Bible and look at the pictures, you know, and that's the image that still comes to my mind when I think of Jesus. Um, that's, the one, that's the one that I think of. I don't think of him angry, though. I can't even hardly visualize that Jesus with an angry look on his face, you know, that's kind of weird. Because he got angry. Uh, he did. He did. He, he got angry. He was a human being and, and he never sinned with his anger. Uh, he never let his anger cause him to do something that was unjust or unfair, but he did, he did get angry and there were things that made him angry. So it's interesting for us to think about what made him angry? What would cause Jesus to sit there, and apparently this is not this is not Sunday, the day that he came into the city. this is likely the next day on a Monday uh, the day after, and so he he came into the city and he he witnessed this stuff going on, and there's some indications you know he, he, he witnessed this, and then he he went back home and it 's almost like Jesus went back home and he thought about it and overnight, you ever done this? Something happens on one day and the more the day goes on, the angrier you get over it. And you don't do anything about it till the next day, maybe. So it's, it's, it's just a little bit like that. Jesus saw this one day, and he went home that night. and went outside probably to Bethany, where he stayed at night. And he thought about it. And he came back the next day. He said, I can't let this go on. And he went into the temple, and he overturned their, their tables. It says in verse 11, He came to Jerusalem, he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not, he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So he's, it seems as if he's angry. It doesn't actually say he's angry here, but it does certainly seem that his actions are consistent with someone who's not very happy with what's going on around him, at least. So what is it? Why was he so upset? It, it, could be, it could be this, and I don't think this is necessarily wrong. I just, I just think it's incomplete. But it, it could be that Jesus was just unhappy with what they were doing because this is supposed to be a holy place, and they had turned it into something else. I think maybe that's a little bit of the answer, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's it, not, not completely. But that's part of it because what they were doing is you had to, if you were a male adult Jew, you had to give a temple tax every year and it was due uh, a uh, certain time around Passover. So people would come from different parts of the world, and you may carry Roman currency, because it was the Roman Empire, and it might have an inscription of the Caesar on it, and you would not need to bring that into the temple itself because it had an inscription on it and an image on it, and there was you know, this conviction among the Jewish people that you didn't need to have an image of a, of a Caesar on there. And so you would, you would trade it in. So you'd take your Roman currency, you'd convert it to a currency that was okay. And it was basically, it was, it was a temple tax. And, and so that's, that's, that's part of what's going on. And then you, you needed to use your money as well to purchase an animal to be sacrificed at Passover. And it might be a, a lamb. It might be, if you were poor, it might be a, a two turtle loves, two pigeons. So, so there were different ways you, for you to require, for you to satisfy the requirements of this day. Now, all that aside, Jesus may have been thinking, he may have been upset about the fact that they had turned this environment that was supposed to be a place of worship, a holy place, into a place where they would inflate the cost, they would inflate the exchange rate, and you wouldn't get as much, you know, that sort of thing. So he could have been thinking about that. Maybe that's part of it, but I don't think that's I don't think that's it. Because of what he says here. He doesn't refer to that specifically. Not really, not here. He says something else. And so I don't think it's that so much that bothered him. By the way, I didn't tell you about the the setup here. This is the third temple that the Jews had had, right? The the one had been built, the first had been built by Solomon a long time before. It had been completely destroyed. Rebuilt by a man named Zerubbabel. And it had been kind of been partially destroyed a few times over the years. Uh, But a few years before this, quite a few years before this, um, Herod, one of the rulers in the area, he had decided to rebuild the temple. Um, and it was often called Herod's temple because he, he did so many, made so many improvements to Zerubbabel's temple. It was really an impressive place. So you had the inner, inner part of the temple, what we would call the temple, uh, that was the, the place where you would offer sacrifices. But then there was this huge temple complex. By the way, I ran across something this week suggesting, I, I had no idea this was, this was true, but in this outer in, in, in the entire temple complex, they think you could have fit as many as seventy-five thousand people. This is a this is a big area. That's, that's, that's pretty big, right? Seventy-five thousand. I mean, that's, that's a lot of folks. This in this outer area. This was in what they call the court of the Gentiles. This is important for the story. The court of the Gentiles, because a Gentile could come into this room, this outer this outer perimeter kind of area. A Gentile could come in there, but there was a sign, and they've actually. Uh, excavated, they, they know pretty much what this sign had on it. and, and It's a little bit longer than what I'm going to say to you, but the, the last line of it was, if you disregard this sign and you go beyond it, you will have yourself to blame for your subsequent death. That's, that's what the sign said, if you're a Gentile. So you s- see the sign. It was, it was there in, in plain sight. You walk into the court of the Gentiles. You see that sign. It says, basically, you go beyond here, you're going to die. So you better stay put. Don't go any farther than this. If you're a Gentile, non-Jew, this is where you go. And so this is that area. It's out, outside that sign. And that's pretty important for, for what Jesus is thinking here. You know, you got this thing going on and he's, he's upset about something. And I don't think it's just that they had turned this into a, a kind of a exchanging money. I think that's part of it. But there's something bigger going on. Now look at your text. You got your Bible there? I want you to notice something Because it says specifically Jesus... We've got two sentences from Jesus here, basically. Verse 17. This is what he was saying. This explains what he did. He was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Now, this doesn't come through clearly unless you look at it more closely. But he's actually quoting... Two Old Testament passages. Now, this is something you may already know, but if not, you, you need to know this. You need to l- learn this about studying the New Testament. When Jesus or Paul or Peter or James or John or whoever, when they quote an Old Testament text, it's worth your time, if you want to get serious about it, it's worth your time to turn back to that passage where he's quoting and read the par- at least read the paragraph. Maybe read the chapter. Maybe read the whole book but at least read the paragraph where he's quoting from to see what he's talking about because he knew what he was talking about. And the people he was talking to knew what he was talking about because they knew the passage. You and I don't know them so well. They knew them. So when he quotes from the Old Testament, what I want us to do for a second is to turn over there and look at the paragraph that he's quoting from, okay? You don't have to turn there, but I hope you'll listen carefully to what happens here, okay? What he's quoting from. So he says, first of all, this this part, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? That is taken, you probably got a footnote in your Bible that suggests this. It's taken from Isaiah 56, verse 7, okay? But the paragraph itself is the first eight verses of Isaiah 56. And I want to read them. Listen, Listen to this carefully. It's not very long. So I want you to hear, Jesus knew this. He had inspired it. He knew knew everything in the book of Isaiah, but he's specifically quoting from a, a sentence within a paragraph. Here's the paragraph. All right, listen to this. It's going to give us a clue as to what is making Jesus upset. All right, here's the paragraph. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, I will declare yet, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Now, I know sometimes we read the prophets, and you think that's a little bit, have to read it a time or two to, to get the gist of it because the language is a little bit difficult sometimes. But did you pick up on the gist of that paragraph? So Jesus quotes part of it. He says, My house, it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And that is a sentence taken out of a paragraph and through that paragraph what Isaiah was talking about speaking for God was this. God is talking to Israel and he says, I put you here so that you might be a light to all the people, not just people like you, not just Jewish people, not just Israelites, but the foreigner and the eunuch, and the outcast, did you hear that? He says, you are to be a light, you're to be people, you're to be a, 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 a holy nation that invites these people in. Now, of course, he's talking spiritually here. He's talking, he's talking to, to Israel about their, representative, their, their being representatives of him in the world. And so he says throughout this, he says, my desire was never... for the only only people to be saved to be the Israelite nation. My desire was for everybody to be saved. So here in our story, Jesus standing there in the court of the Gentiles where there was a sign that said, don't go any farther. Or we'll kill you. You know what I think Jesus is saying to these people? You have forgotten. You have forgotten why I called you. You have forgotten why I put you here. You've created this court of the Gentiles. You have created this environment for them. And the thing that you communicate to them is this is as far as you can come. This is it. Because you don't have the right bloodline. You have taken what is supposed to be a place where all are welcome and you've made it to a place of exclusion. You have forgotten why I put you here. You've taken a house of prayer for all the nations and you've made it something to to be a barrier, to be a source of division between ethnicities. So you know, I think what Jesus is saying when he turns over the tables, and this, this is a very prophetic act, by the way. You go back and look, look at the prophets in the Old Testament. They said a lot of words, but they also did a lot of things. And sometimes God would say, I don't want you to say anything, I just want you to do something. I want you to do... And they would have, he would have them doing something physical, something that was supposed to be a prophetic action. It was supposed to say a lot through what he did. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He doesn't say a lot, but I guarantee you, the disciples and anybody who saw it never forgot Jesus, the meek and lowly, the humble, friend of sinners, Jesus going through there and turning over tables and driving these money changers out of the temple. They never forgot that image. And when he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and this is supposed to be a house of prayer, not for you only, but for all the nations, they never forgot that lesson I want to come back to that in just a second to think about what it might say to the church today. But look at the last part of this quotation. But you have made it a den of robbers. That, again, this is a little bit harder to see when you're just reading the New Testament. But that is taken from a different prophetic book, taken from the book of Jeremiah. Let me read you a portion of this. This is taken from Jeremiah 7, verse 11. And that is part of a paragraph in Jeremiah 7 where he's talking about something else. So listen to this, okay? It's going to help us understand why Jesus is angry. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. I'm in Jeremiah 7. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known, and then come... And stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by name, by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you've done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. I know this a little bit longer. I hope you picked up on the gist of that. Did you hear him? Jesus is quoting from this. You hear what he's saying? He is saying to these people in Jeremiah, he's saying, Do you think you can go out here and commit murder and idolatry and you can do all these sins that I've told you not to do? Do you think you can do that? And then you can just walk into the temple and say, Hey, you know what? We are murderers and we are idolaters, but we're okay because we got the temple. We're good the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, we're good. It doesn't matter what we do out there. We're in the house of God. It's got God's name on it, and we're good to go. That's what Jeremiah was saying. And I think that's what Jesus was saying when he says, you've taken what is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've turned... It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And the way that phrase, this is important. I want you to hear this. Because I didn't, I'd always just assume he's talking about these guys who are changing money, you know? They, they're robbing people. They're inflating the exchange rate and all, all this stuff. They're, they're, they're mishandling money. They're doing it dishonestly. He's calling them thieves and robbers. Well, that's actually not what he's doing. He's quoting this passage and what he's saying, a den of thieves is a place where thieves, they, the thieves go out and do their theft. And then they retreat to this place where they think they're safe. And it was called the den of thieves, the den of robbers. So they go out there and they do whatever they're going to do. And then they've got this safe place where they can't get caught. Nobody can get them. A cave or whatever. A den of thieves. A den of protection. A place where they can go and get away from the authorities. They're not going to get caught there. And, and, and what Jeremiah was saying to them is, that's, what you've, that's how you view the temple. You think you can do whatever you want to do. And you just go to the temple and offer your sacrifice and burn your incense and pay your tithe and you're okay. You completely misunderstand the temple. I mean, man, the application here is pretty pretty clear, isn't it? I want to just spend a minute or so on this. Do we have a message here from God for us? Do we have a message for us? Those two quotations there are, I believe... The two lessons for us. And those lessons are, let the church never, ever be involved in creating barriers between Jesus and the people He came to save. We do not need to be involved in division, but in unity. If we in any way are involved in lifestyles or attitudes and dispositions that create a barrier between people in our communities who need to know Jesus Christ and getting to him. We're doing what made him angry because what they had done is They had created this source of division, this barrier between God and the nations that God wanted to save. And Jesus says, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let that happen. I put you here to be a light to the nation and you are distorting that. Second lesson is in the second quotation. And that is, If any of us think that we can live however we choose, Monday through Saturday, as long as we come into a church building like this on Sunday with the right name on it, or the right doctrine, the right style of worship, the right teaching on baptism, or the right whatever, if we think God doesn't care that God will just somehow think, well, you know what? At least you didn't have instrumental music in your worship. Or at least you didn't do this. Then I'm okay with the other. We are completely missing the point of the story. What he's upset about with these folks is that they thought they had the magic pill. They got the right place They got the temple, they got this beautiful temple. They love Herod's temple. I mean, it was, Solomon's was beautiful, Zerubbabel's not so much, but Herod, man, he had spent so much money on this place and it was a big deal. And uh, they thought, we're okay. We got the right bloodline. We got this beautiful place and so we're okay. And what Jesus is saying to them is, God is a lot more concerned about what you do the rest of the week. You know what he says at the end of that quotation in Jeremiah? That quotation is very clear. He says to them, this is a very strong statement, but what God said to them through Jeremiah was, because you have thought that the temple is your magic pill, I'm gonna destroy it. And what God did a few years after Jeremiah spoke those words is he brought Nebuchadnezzar against the temple, and absolutely raised it. This is that great destruction of the temple. And so I think what Jesus is saying, and by the way, these words were spoken, Jesus' words were spoken in the temple. This is not a statement of reform. He's not saying, I just want you to stop doing this sort of thing in the temple. What he's saying to these folks is, because you have, you have not fulfilled your calling, I am going to bring about a new covenant, a new temple A temple that is not made with hands. This temple, he doesn't say it explicitly, but it's very subtle. That's why they decided they were going to kill him after he said this. What he's saying in a very subtle way is this temple is going to meet the same end as Solomon's temple. That text he was quoting from. And 40 years after Jesus spoke these words, you know what happened to this temple? The Roman armies came against it and it was destroyed. But here's the thing for you and me. God is saying to us, I believe, the same thing he's saying to them. God won't allow us, if we try to, he won't allow us to live in rebellion against him, act like we're Christians, claim the name of Christ, get our name on a church roll and fill the church pew and go to church Sunday after Sunday. He won't allow us to persist in that kind of hypocrisy and that kind of inconsistency between a Monday through Saturday holy kind of life in a Sunday profession of faith that's inconsistent with the way we've been living. That's a message that comes through in this story. That's the other side of Jesus. He's not just a Jesus who says to us, you know what, it doesn't really matter that much what you do. I don't, I don't care that much about that. I just love you. No, the thing is, Jesus loves us so much that he won't let us live those lives that are destructive to the purpose for which he created us. If you're not a Christian this morning... We want you to see Jesus. We want you to come to Him in faith and hope. We want you to trust in Him. We want you to see that He's a God of love, that He's a God of holiness. He's a God of justice. He's a God who turns over tables. He's a God who, he's a God who picks babies up and holds them in His arms and kisses them and blesses them. He's the Jesus who, who forgives the woman caught in the very act of adultery. He's the one who says, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. But He's also the Jesus who says that if I call you and if you're one of my own, that I'm going to change the way you live. I'm going to change your life. You are called to live a holy life, one that's separate and apart from the kind of lives that everybody else is living. As John prayed about in his prayer a few minutes ago, God has called us to be holy. That's the other side of Jesus, one we need to see clearly. He's called us to something special. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to come to see Jesus. Come Come to that Jesus. Come to the Jesus of love and the Jesus of holiness. And accept his gift of salvation. He will love you, and he will welcome you, and he will walk with you, and he will challenge you, and he will change you. And it's a beautiful thing to see Jesus working through his spirit in his people today. It may be you need to come back to him because your life has not been consistent with the profession you made. If your life isn't consistent, if your Monday through Saturday life isn't the same as the one you sing about on Sunday, why don't, make, why don't you make some changes today if you need to? We urge you to come to the Jesus of the Bible. Let's stand and sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come.